0: Welcome to the Cannabis Reporter Weekly Podcast. I'm your host, Snowden Bishop. In my quest to learn more about cannabis, I speak with a lot of people. Some are seasoned experts and some are newcomers to the cannabis industry who are learning to navigate through the ever-changing legal landscape, but what I've noticed about those who are most successful in this business, they share a common denominator, passion. This is especially true of my guests today. I had the pleasure of spending the better part of my morning with Elizabeth Valentine. As the owner of Green Star Doctors in Phoenix, Arizona, she uses her exceptional knowledge to guide patients through the medical marijuana licensing process and educate them about how to buy and use marijuana to treat their own medical conditions. More importantly, she plays a vital role in helping patients overcome the stigma that's been ingrained in our culture for generations. This is especially true of young people who intuitively gravitate toward cannabis for reasons they may not be entirely sure, but must deal with the shame and fear associated with prior pressure to just say no to drugs. As you'll soon hear, Liz Valentine has a unique perspective on why. I hope you enjoy the interview. Let me just start by asking you about your incredible story, because I know there
1: is one. Sure. Absolutely. We started in Denver. I was general manager of three dispensaries that I helped build from the ground up, and together with that team that I helped build, we started our pioneering in the medical marijuana industry. Mm. Denver was still developing it was brand new Um, it's a for-profit state so everyone could put their applications in and it was survival of the fittest right it was just a beautiful place to come into there were so many stigmas attached and we knew that we needed to bring people in and make them feel comfortable what year was this again
0: 2009. 2009. Okay, so really early days.
1: Really, really early. We got our applications in. Within three months, those three dispensaries were open. Okay. Within the two years, we acquired seven or eight dispensaries before I left. Wow. So I was the buyer of all product between flour and edibles and concentrates and non-smokable items. Right. It was a full gamut.
0: And back then, the variety was a lot less than it is now. Absolutely. And a lot less was known publicly about differences in
1: formulations. Absolutely. It was a new horizon. Yeah. And edible makers that had their own licenses were coming about. Different manufacturers of different products were just testing their market and I helped some of them with their progress on packaging and developing what I thought would be good for the end buyer, our patients. Right. I helped get people legal. We worked with the doctor. I was a notary. We notarized all of the applications on site. We had the doctor on-premise within the dispensary, and it was actually much easier for the patient to not have two separate trips and have the education with the doctor at the dispensary.
0: Did you have trouble finding doctors at that time who were interested in making the transition into this space?
1: It is easy to find mm-hmm. doctors. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, the the norm is that, you know, if you work for a hospital or a practice that don't believe in that, then of course the stigma lives on and those people, you know, worrying about their reputation, mm-hmm. don't find it. But there are a lot of doctors who do believe in this, and um, of course, in Arizona, because we have naturopaths on board, it's just a little bit more open-minded. It would be, I would think, with the
0: osteopath, naturopath, and yes. homeopathic doctors, absolutely. But. Arizona is pretty conservative. What made you come here as opposed to going to, let's say, Illinois first?
1: It was timing. Um, I had gone to ASU when I was younger. Oh, okay. So you had a connection here I first. I did. And I I realized that they had a great law, and that was something that was obvious. Mm-hmm. All the different laws in, in the States really pivot how you can build your success in the industry. Mm-hmm. And so...
0: It'd look like a good thing. And so you plan to expand into
1: Illinois as well? Yes, and New York and all around the valley we will be opening up.
0: I know that there's a limitation on dispensaries and yes. how many can be in certain places. What about the licensing? and?
1: There's no limitation and what I found is that people want to go closer to the area. Mm-hmm. And even though I have travelers of four hours away coming to my office, it would be nice to help people from the distances that can't get to us. Mm-hmm.
0: What are the services that most people come in for? And what, what are some of the most common reasons people come to see you?
1: Well, first, they definitely come in to get certified. right? And then, of course, we help them with their application. Um, I think my cannabis experience brings people in. Um, There's a lot of word of mouth, and people trust my opinion. Um, I do have a lot of experience with cannabis and flour and the industry itself now after seven years. So I've become a little bit of both a good service for just the regular thing you need to come in for, and then maybe a little bit more information of what's really going on.
0: You're so knowledgeable in a way that... I've talked to a lot of people, and I will be talking to a lot of people that are very, you know, they're in their groove. They have a lot of expertise in what it is that they do. Mm-hmm. But you seem to have, like, this really well-rounded take mm-hmm. on all of this. And from your perspective, having the clinic, Green Star.
1: And I will tell you that um, I'm also that little bit of an advocate for newbies. Tell me about some of your early,
0: early, early experience with cannabis.
1: Oh, early experience, my personal experiences? Uh-huh. Well... If you don't mind. I don't mind at all. I I love the plant for all its uh, um, anonymity, you know. Um, I first smelled it in a concert and thought, what's that? It smells so good. Of course, I grew up in a strict household that was anti-drugs, mm-hmm. so I did not believe in it. Necessarily, when I heard that friends were doing it, I didn't really get the grasp of why Mm -hmm. um, until I did. And I didn't really have a good appetite as a child, had a lot of ADHD, a lot of excess energy, and it really did calm me down. It gave me an appetite, things I wouldn't have expected a drug, quote unquote, to do Mm -hmm. because those were always thought of as just partying or um, for fun's sake, for escape. Right. And um, I found the contrary. I found it gave me hope and life in ways that were beneficial in my health. And things that I could not have understood early on as I think I tried it at 18, 19.
0: It helped you with school from that point forward?
1: Absolutely, oh, that, it helped yeah. my focus, um, it, it gave me a lot of energy, mm-hmm. and it doesn't yet necessarily do that for everyone. How many children do you see? Minors? I want to say that it's not as many as you'd think. I probably have a dozen that have come through over the years of being here.
0: Right, and what are some of the most common things
1: they ask about? Ask about or have? Well, they have. Cancer childhood cancer childhood cancer and maybe severe injuries from sports things of that nature that really need medication and attention
0: I wonder how many children are out there who are high school age going through that terrible angst Mm -hmm. and getting into trouble not because of the impact of smoking marijuana but because it's illegal for them to be smoking marijuana. I wonder how many children actually gravitate toward that. And I'm saying this because you're in a unique position because you're in the business of making people legal, mm-hmm. but what kind of message can we get out to moms who are concerned about their kids mm-hmm. you know, running with the rogue crowd and smoking pot, you know, but sure. maybe they're gravitating toward it because they have anxiety or ADHD naturally finding their path to cannabis. What could we tell them? Without promoting children smoking pot, for example.
1: Okay, here's what I'm gonna say, this is my deep thing about um, why it's a gravitational pull for people. If if you're going to stigmatize somebody who's young, let's say, who decides that, I think I'm gonna smoke pot, what are you saying to not only that individual, but everyone else that that they don't have a higher self gravitating towards something that is beneficial for them, that they could be preventing, that you have no idea about. It's very upsetting that we want to control why, you know, it's it's part of the stigma. You're a criminal, so if you decide to go that way, you're bad. Instead of, we have an inner voice that propelled us to go against the grain. Yeah. There's
0: a fine line between promoting illegal activity and discussing the benefits of it. I find this challenging as a writer
1: Um, a couple of things you hit on a great nerve for me because I I see everybody coming in you know nervous and shaking off their views of themselves after being judged by society Mm -hmm. is our biggest problem we end up not realizing that we we tend to emotionalize the criminal mind that we give a self-fulfilling prophecy to everyone, children as well, that you're bad for doing this. And that stigma is so difficult to remove when you know it helps you. It calms your anxieties down so that you can have focus, so that you can do whatever you need in your life. It is definitely medicinal if it helps you eat and you have no hunger. There's nothing in pill version, pharmaceutically, That promotes hunger. So you're doing a good service by taking something that's non-lethal, non-toxic, versus the choices out there. Oh, yeah. So for the moms, I would say it's not going to hurt them. And if it helps them, then look for that benefit. See the positive in it. The worst thing we can do is what has been done already, which is make someone feel like a criminal. Mm -hmm. because they come in shaking that they're going to be judged that they're coming out of the closet that they just need it for their benefit for health Mm -hmm. and they're still fighting the emotional stigma and when people come in with really large symptoms and still feel like a criminal it just saddens me because we're not criminals tax paying citizens everyone who's ever been in my office has been a pillar of society Mm -hmm. of course there may be a percentage of those that may be struggling economically and then they look a certain way in their anxieties but they're not criminals for wanting to help themselves Mm -hmm. so we put that stigma out there and it creates worse trauma that's much more difficult to remove Right.
0: Well, and we're talking 80 years of, of shame and stigma That's around right.
1: marijuana. We don't recognize that it was a part of our history. Oh, for, for thousands of years. Right. Um, so the best thing to do is to not make the children feel like criminals so that they don't grow up the rest of their life looking over their shoulder and feeling bad for their choice to be non-toxic, non-lethal. Right.
0: How many people come in here do you think that have that have ongoing prescriptions for opioids? More than half. Really? More than half. How many of those do you think
1: have a huge dependency? At least 30%. You can see that they struggle with they need both because they can't live without their pills. Um, And then let me ask you this. Sure. I'm getting to something.
0: Okay. Yes. How many of the people who do come in with Uh, frequent opioid prescriptions go off the opioids
1: having been here? We see at least 20% and it doesn't sound like a lot. It takes time for somebody to understand what cannabis is doing for them and their will to get off what has helped them till now. Right and of those how many do you think
0: find what they need in cannabis to address the pain and, well, pain and addiction.
1: It helps so all around, I call it a cure-all. Right. You know, it calms the system in every way, mentally, physically. ease. So it must help them combat the side effects of all those pills. Right. It's really what happens. They have to make the, the jump to realize that cannabis can help them all the way through. Mm -hmm. They probably have to get over the hurdles of the lack of information outside of flour. There's benefits to edibles that smoking may not be able to reach. Mm -hmm. But people get scared of edibles because dosing has not figured out a way to be so regulated. Right. So there's different makers and different products, and then the quality of the products going into the products. Well, and also
0: if something's yummy
1: you might have more of it. Right, and then the scary stories of all of the, you know, emergency room visits because they've taken too much. You know, there's definitely a lot of reasons why people tend to stay within their small circle and then maybe they're not getting the benefits of of cannabis in its entire menu, mm-hmm. you know. And I also believe that in Arizona, they did a disservice by not giving edible licenses out separately so that different smaller um, legal companies could be born. When one person has the license for everything and they deem what is important to them to manufacture within their grow because they need enough flour or they need enough wax and you know concentrates and then edibles is a huge line if you say edible, it could be anything. Brilliant. So if you only make brownies, you're limiting so much Brilliant. because of the delivery system. Yeah. And so in Colorado, it is all separate licenses. And in other states, they're all also separate licenses, some, some states. Some are all-inclusive as well, and it's not the best idea because by the time one company can figure out all the funding that it takes to grow these factories, basically, what they'll turn into. No pun intended. Yeah. (laughs) You know, this is is a big industry that, yes, needs regulation, but not in a monopoly way.
0: Right. And so we've created here in Arizona, I think, the environment for monopolies. Absolutely. We have the measure vying for signatures right now regulate marijuana like alcohol, marijuana policy project version. And I'm wondering if, if they're gonna be addressing any of those issues with the licensing and all of that.
1: Um, I am familiar to a point on this. these two bills are giving grow rights to each patient, which is fabulous. But it does nothing to the medical law to adjust the 25 mile rule So theoretically it could be both, but I don't believe that taking out the medical law, let's say the medical law was revised so that it was as beautiful as it could be for Mm -hmm. a patient. I don't believe Washington did a good idea by taking medical out altogether. It sends the message that it's just a drug and have your fun. Right. So medical patients need guidance, they trust a doctor, not just the people selling them yeah, their products. Now that's
0: a whole other kettle fish because right now the way it is, a dispensary bud tender, if you will, has to be an advisor, a practitioner, a pharmacist, and there are so many different formulations And I think that the people who've been in the business long enough probably didn't get any formal training. They've learned on the job. That's right. So what do you tell patients when they come in here about, you know, hey, beware. They might
1: sell you the best kush, but they're not going to tell you what you need for your cancer. That too. And there's no regulations in Arizona that prohibit them to put things on the shelf with spider mites and powder mildew. So there are... A lot of things I try to tell the patients to educate them on what they're going to see, I tell them about a smell test. Pick it up, smell it. If it smells bad like mold, don't buy it. If it doesn't have a scent and it's dry, it's like hay, don't buy it. It's expensive. This medicine is not cheap. Mm -hmm. So if you're not trying to give your end user, the patient, the best product, you're just hurting them. Mm -hmm. So these monopolies with no laws to regulate it's pretty scary right um, I try to give them as much information as possible because I have been smoking over 20 years so I I can understand um, what it's like on each strain my perception it's just an opinion but it's better than um, someone who's just reading an article mm-hmm. about the strain mm-hmm so There is a difference between those people who are in the community and working in the industry and affecting people without knowledge Mm -hmm. like growers that don't smoke these are little difficult challenges you have to have some idea of what you're making Mm -hmm. and there comes the passion (laughs) if you have passion for it because it helps you then you will help others because it benefits you you can explain to others how it benefits you, and hopefully, it'll benefit them that way.
0: Right. Wow! And sorting out the the difference in the dispensaries and all of that, I think that's a that's going to be a challenge. And I'm passionate about the issues around cannabis because I think it's you know God's gift to the earth, and we're Absolutely. stupid for not using it. Right. But I I think that we're going to start seeing some business-minded people entering the space because they see the huge profit potential. The other thing I'm really scared of too, which is why I'm glad it's still a state issue, is the fact that it's gonna be a really interesting challenge when, when it does finally legalize nationwide because there are such vast differences between the laws. Once it does, build, you're gonna see the big pharmaceutical companies sure. and agricultural companies come in and start monopolizing the industry and all of that. So I guess, you know, we're at an advantage right now that it's just a state-run thing.
1: Mm-hmm. I do believe it should be federally legal. Yes, of course. Okay, so I do believe that everyone should be able to grow it on their own and have all of their choices free, freely, mm-hmm. um, but since that's not the case and we're regulated by the states and it's man-made laws, it, it makes sense to have recreation but it does not make sense to give those in a recreational format more liberties, liberties. than the one who's fighting medical issues, mm-hmm. who are more serious about it, which in Colorado, the standardization of the medical side having more quantity or more plant count, it shows allegiance to those that are truly sick. Mm-hmm.
0: It is a bit challenging I think and it's going to be for you this is a question when you start expanding into different states because Absolutely. each state law is so different right. how are you supporting that do you have a do you have a legal team that's working with you on those issues right. on the differences
1: and that sort of thing or is it not going to impact you that much each state has its requirements and mm-hmm. its guidelines and they're not too difficult to decipher the differences. Right. Um, it's an interesting thing because they try to follow one state or another. Colorado sometimes Arizona. You know, Nevada was looking at Arizona. Arizona was looking at Colorado. So they're not too far apart from right. how they really set themselves up. California, I think, is still the wild wild west when it comes to the laws mm-hmm. of marijuana. I really, really want to know, from your perspective
0: as a business owner, what is it that you want people to know the most?
1: That the pot smokers that you consider to be bad are not. We're good people. We're thinkers. You mentioned the black sheep syndrome. Tell me what you think that is. Okay, so... um, the black sheep of society syndrome. You know, when you're casted to be a criminal because you decided to do something away from the norm, like smoke pot, it's something non toxic, non lethal that you decide on your own. And now everyone looks at you like you're a degenerate. And you have to fight that. And you're already battling whatever it is within you that you've needed cannabis and you're also fighting everyone else's version of you now. And it's detrimental to society to do that to people. We should be kind to each other and make sure that they have what they need and not judge for what they need. And maybe ask intelligent questions instead of speak down to us like we're just dummies. And there are several people in life that you can see that have smoked pot like Steve Jobs and and not been a blithering idiot. You know, they peg us to be a kid on the couch playing video games. And we are mature men and women of all ages, grandmas and grandpas, just getting off their pills. And it's just not criminal nation the way they want to peg on us. So. It would be better for tomorrow's society to get rid of this stigma now. We see that it helps people, especially seizure patients, to have it in their system. We have an endocannabinoid system in our body, but nobody wants to talk about the fact that we could all use this instead of a cup of joe mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and a cup of joe. But I do believe that the biggest thing I'd like to tell people in my mission in the cannabis industry would be that we're good people and stop chastising us for our choices. So when you don't know how you're going to feel, I kind of give you a little bit of like a chat and I ease you into it. And this is what I would say to you, but we all had to figure out how many Tylenols we needed at one point we can gauge certain things. You know, we all know when to stop eating. You know, there's, um, a, our brain does a lot for us. Right, right. <laughs> you can start gauging how you feel right. with it, and then you know exactly what it's doing to you, and then you can, you may even get your tolerance up, and you increase your dosing, but you'll always be able to manage it because it's, not something that's like an opiate that's going to take you too far away, mm-hmm. and that's the illusion. People are always thinking that it's going to take them to la la land, right? And it doesn't unless you do too much. So, if you add you know a little bit incrementally, then you can't go too crazy, it won't take you to overboard, right? So, cannabis isn't scary, but because the stigma and the association to it. And of course, there are some stories of people who have had um, unregulated dosing. But, and the biggest loss of a cannabis patient, if you start off new and you have a bad experience, then you don't tend to, oh, you write it off. It's bad because they could have maybe had the pivot of a better experience. Right. And so it it really is practical to have it in almost a, a safe environment at home in the daytime where you can feel at your best regulated um somebody with experience around you and then to not feel so serious about it like it's surgery because the the paranoia of oh my god i don't know what i'm gonna feel it's like before you get on an amusement park ride and you're like is this gonna shake me all around am i gonna throw up people are scared of the actual experience and I believe that that brain is telling you, fear, 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 and you all, boom, you're in a bad experience already. So if we can give people a little bit more ease into the environment, instead of black or white, you know, <laughs> right. black sheep or white sheep of society, which, you know. Right. It's, it...
0: Well, and also tell them that when they get their medical marijuana card, they don't want to go first thing out of the gate and get, you know, 18% THC. That's right.
1: That's here. And don't take six hits, right? Take one. See how you feel. See how it does. Okay, because I definitely want to be able to put my input out there. But I believe that by myself it's not enough. Like a few people that have expertise and can chime in, because eventually, definitely believe that um, I have that purpose to like get my voice out there. Opinions. Okay. Thank you. Thank you.
0: Thank you for coming. Yeah. Thank you for for talking to me. I mean, this is this is great. So, um, you have inspired me.
1: Okay. Sure. So. No, I totally believe in this. It's it's something that it is important.
0: It's so important. It really is. And honestly, um, I got into this because of hemp. And my passion started cool. with hemp. <laughs> well, yeah. yeah. And you know, right now it's like you know we're we're. We're trying to think outside of the box because there are a lot of uh, marijuana publications out there. But there aren't a lot of publications out there that are going, trying to go to moms and conservatives who are completely opposed to marijuana, right. who listen to the people who are sure. going, it's a gateway drug, and right. just say no, and you know all of these things. Mm-hmm. So... We're counter-programming the typical programming that's out there sure. about marijuana.
1: That's awesome.
0: And, and I think that that's sort of an important niche.
1: Part of why the stigma is there, mm-hmm. you may not have good results. I, I'm definitely spoofing the stigma. People don't think I smoke I smoke a lot. Yeah. But it doesn't phase me. I can be the poster child of doing all my work, and, and I need to smoke. Right. So, but I think that that's what's good about me is that I'm at the age where um, you can take me seriously. Mm -hmm. I'm a business owner in the industry, and so I I may have a different clout than just the regular smoker. Right. But since I am such a heavy user, I would like to push back all those people who think that you can't have both success and.
0: Integrity and right. it's all untrue. of those things. Absolutely. Well, and also the modern pothead, you know, <laughs> yeah. like the glam side of it, the business side of it, yeah. as people come out of the
1: closet. Cannabis unites people uh-huh. and it really takes away so many borders. You know, you've got the gay lesbian community and that's a big community. And let's say you have the biker community or the religious mm-hmm. community. Everyone, There's a lot of communities. Right. They all cross section in cannabis. Religion doesn't unite as much as cannabis does. Right. So, right. there's really it really. Well, crosses the, the
0: anti cannabis is the war on drugs, right. but also just inner city wars. Right. You've got the criminal justice system, um, anti establishment, right. segregated all
1: of these groups. As long as the jails still keep making money, they're gonna keep chasing it's after it. It's a huge lobby. So you have so many people smoking cannabis. We cannot all be blithering idiots.
0: (laughs) You know, there, there are prosecutors, city attorneys. Right attorneys general and state that are all doing judges Yeah, Yeah. and it's it's so (laughs) hypocritical because so many people do Steve Jobs. Let's let's continue this conversation for sure. It's so great to talk to you guys. Thank you so much. Thank you you again. Thank you. you. This is great. Wow. I'd like to personally thank Liz Valentine for sharing her passion, knowledge, and time with us here today. I hope you enjoyed the interview. Please visit us online at thecannabisreporter.com to learn more about today's topic or to subscribe to our weekly podcasts. From all of us at The Cannabis Reporter, thank you for listening. Until we meet again, make it a great day. Evergreen